0: people who have their name on the church roll but they do not have their name in what is pictured here as the Lamb's Book of Life and they'll go to hell with their baptismal certificate and their Sunday school attendance or anything else that they pride themselves in but they'll be lost. I saw the great and the small Satan doesn't care if he takes you from a church pew or takes you as a drug addict and a drunk from the gutter as long as he can get you.
1: Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl brogy senior pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today is part two of Pastor Carl's sermon entitled, Your Day in God's Court. Yesterday, we studied the place and person over this judgment. And today, Pastor Carl will highlight the people who are not only at this judgment, but the principle for this judgment. Let's join Pastor Carl now as he continues.
0: And so according to the Feast of First Fruits, the harvest had three parts to it, if you've studied it. Just as the first resurrection will have three principal parts to it. When the first fruits were ripened, the farmer would bring to the priest a sample sheaf. And the priest would take that sheaf and he would wave it before the Lord. It was called a wave offering. And it was symbolic of saying, God, we thank you for your provision. We thank you for the harvest that is coming by your hand. And, of course, the singularity of the sheaf represented Christ, and those small number of stalks within it, grain stalks, represented a handful of Old Testament believers who would be raised after Christ. A much overlooked and ignored verse that's found in Matthew's gospel, and you'd expect it to be in Matthew's gospel because, of course, he is writing to Jewish people who understood the seven feasts of the Old Testament. The tombs, he says, were open and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection they entered the holy city Jerusalem and appeared to many. So Jesus and this handful of Old Testament saints who are resurrected are the first fruits. They are a picture of the harvest that is to come. That's stage one. Stage two of the Feast of First Fruits is a broader gathering that happens at the rapture of the church. We did a whole message on this. Listen to what Paul says concerning this general harvest. First Thessalonians four, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel, that's Michael, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. These are just church saints. Old Testament believers are not part of the church. They could not be part of the church. Why not? Because the spirit have not yet been given. And as you study the New Testament epistles, it's the spirit of God who makes us into one body of saints. And so the dead in Christ, the church, will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain, if you are alive when this event takes place, you'll be caught up. You'll be snatched up. Harpazzo in the Latin Bible, raptore, And so we get our English word rapture. You'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. This could happen at any moment. Prophetically, nothing has ever needed to be fulfilled for Christ to come and snatch up his church. It could happen today if God so chose. Whereas the second coming, when he doesn't meet the people of God in the air, but he comes to the earth, Zechariah 14, to establish his kingdom, that's a prophetically driven event. And so, again, there's the, the initial first fruits, Christ, and this handful of Old Testament saints, and then there's this general resurrection. And by the way, just as there are two kinds of death, think your way through this. There's the first death, which speaks of the fact that your body would be buried in a grave somewhere. Then there's the second death that we are reading of this morning where a person is eternally separated from God in the lake of fire. Even so, there are two kinds of resurrection. The first resurrection has to do with the resurrection of the righteous. The second resurrection has to do with the resurrection of the wicked. The first resurrection and the second resurrection program, as John reveals in the revelation, is separated by a thousand years known as the millennial kingdom. Now keep that in mind as we read about these people who are judged here in verse 12. Notice how these dead are described. I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. This just simply means no one, no lost people, are excluded or overlooked. The great, that's the up and out we might say, the big shots. And the small, that's the down and out, the nobodies in the world's eyes, the little shots. In other words, the movers, the shakers, the emperors, the dictators, the kings, the presidents, the well-connected stand together with names people have never, ever heard. I saw the dead. The great and the small. It doesn't matter how much education you've had. It doesn't matter how much culture you've had. It doesn't matter how much money you've earned. It doesn't matter how famous you might have been back on earth. How well liked you might have been. No one who has rejected Christ will be excluded from this judgment. The great and the small, which according to the rest of Scripture, you could further subdivide into four different categories. Think about this. There's certainly, in the great and the small, the out-and-out sinner, the person who hates God, who hates Christ, who hates the Bible, who hates preaching. I was listening to one of our politicians this week saying that parents shouldn't have the opportunity to know the child's gender in their school. That if a woman wants to kill the baby in her womb right up to the ninth month, that's her right. There are those who just outright hate the living God. They hate Bible preaching, they hate the things of God, they live for sin, they live for self, and by acknowledgement or not, they are living for Satan. They are being shaped by the prince of the power of this air, and it's the person who may raise his fist in the face of God braggingly, brazenly, and saying, God, you can't control my life. In fact, many will suppress the truth they know of God and even deny his existence. The Madeline Murray O'Hares will be here. I heard her preach once. I've heard men of God inspired by the Spirit of God. If I ever heard an unbeliever inspired by the spirit of a demon, it was this woman. The Madeline, Mary O'Hares will be here, the Pol Pot's, the Stalins, the Hitlers, the Hefner's, the Marilyn Monroe's, every lost person will be here. The drug pushers, the pornographers, the perverts, the out-and-out God-haters will be here. Secondly, in the great and the small are not just the out-and-out sinners, but the self righteous I'm convinced based on what Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, that hell will be filled with self-righteous people. They think the gospel I preach is for the thief, the murderer, the pervert, the pimp, the prostitute, but it's not for them. They are like the Pharisees of old that think they are just fine with God. And that's why Jesus said that the prostitutes, the drunkards, and the tax collectors were more likely candidates for the kingdom of God than those self-righteous men were. Why? Because they saw their need. And I fear that many people in America today are just swaggering their way into hell, thinking they are too good to be damned. Remember what the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 2.21? I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Do you know what that means? It means if you could be saved by keeping the Ten Commandments, by following the golden rule, by tithing, by being baptized, by becoming a church member, or anything else you can think of, then Calvary was the blunder of the ages. God was a fool to have sent his son to die on a cross. But God is no fool. But the self-righteous person, by his thinking, mocks the cross of Christ. They think, well, the drunk's going to hell, the prostitute may be going to hell, but I'm a good person. And they do not see that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So here in the great and small, there's the out-and-out sinner. There's a self-righteous person, but there's a third group. And maybe this could be the biggest group, the procrastinator. The procrastinator is here. These are people to whom the devil will whisper, some of you listening to me today, you don't need to make a decision today. You may not be sure. You may know this is true. You just don't need to make a decision today. You may be listening to me on the radio, through the internet. It's just not today. Tomorrow will be fine. And millions upon millions have been damned because they've put off the need to make a decision. Today is the day of salvation. And every time you put God off, you say no, and your heart doesn't become softer and more palatable. It becomes harder and more obtuse towards the things of God. What a foolish thing to procrastinate. Now, there's a fourth group who's included in the great and the small, and I suppose it's the saddest group of all, not just the out-and-out sinner, not just the self-righteous person, not just the procrastinator but the church member who's never been saved. People who have their name on the church roll, but they do not have their name in what is pictured here as the Lamb's Book of Life. And they'll go to hell with their baptismal certificate and their Sunday school attendance or anything else that they pride themselves in, but they'll be lost. I saw the great and the small. Satan doesn't care if he takes you from a church pew or takes you as a drug addict and a drunk from the gutter. As long as he can get you, he really doesn't care. And sometimes people think that somehow they can escape, but no one can escape. And that brings us to the third point, and it's the principle for the judgment. Uh, the fourth point, the principle for the judgment. Beyond the place of the judgment, somewhere in the outer space before God creates a new heaven and a new earth in which the new Jerusalem will come and sit upon. And the person over this judgment, the Lord Jesus, and the people at this judgment, all lost folks, there's the principle for the judgment. Don't miss it, starting in verse 12. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And books were opened, and another book was opened which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which are written in the books, underscore this, according to their deeds. Verse 13, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, note, according to their deeds. Death is a synonym here for the grave for a place and so in the newest edition of the new american standard they this time capitalize it and that's okay nothing wrong with that though just understand there's no capitalization in the manuscripts it's either all caps or in most cases all lower text but he's referring here to death to the place of the grave death has the body and hades which we studied last week has the soul now, understand, as we studied last week about Hades, that's not the final resting place. That's the temporary current hell, so to speak. It's like a person who goes to jail who's awaiting trial and his final sentencing comes. That's what will happen to those who are in Haiti. So they are awaiting their day in court before the final sentencing comes, and we'll see why in just a moment. And so it doesn't matter where you are Whether you are in the dirt of the ground, it doesn't matter if you're in the depths of the sea. And John underscores that because a popular false teaching is seen in literature outside of the Bible is if you died at sea and your body was eaten, even your bones by fish, there would be nothing left of you and you could escape any kind of judgment doesn't matter if you died in the frozen north like that guy they dug up about 10 years ago who was supposedly a few thousand years old. doesn't matter if you were buried in the sands of some hot desert, wherever you are. doesn't matter if you were cremated and your body was turned to ashes and then dissolved. God will find you. God will raise each and every lost person up. Death in Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Now understand, Easter is a magnificent message that we preach for those who are saved. But while most unbelievers don't understand it, it is the worst message in the world for those who are lost. You see, just as my body is not fit to walk on streets of gold. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Now the Bible talks about flesh and bones inheriting it, but not flesh and blood. Why? I need a new resurrection body suited for heaven. Even so, the man who dies lost, Easter is the worst message for him because it guarantees his resurrection where he will have a body that is suited forever and ever in hell. Today, people can try to escape judgment. They'll uh, try to get some fancy lawyer to get them off. They might try to disguise themselves. They might have some kind of plastic surgery, but there'll be no hiding here from God. At his command, the grave that has the body, Hades that have the soul, will be brought together in an instant and a new resurrection body, and they will stand before the Lord as lost people. You can't crawl up under the covers and hide from God Almighty notice again verse 12 i saw the dead the great and the small standing before the throne the books circle that word books the books were opened and the dead were judged every one of them judged from the things which were written in the books how according to their deeds now what does that mean it simply means that god is keeping a record everything that you've ever done every thought you've ever had god wrote it down every word that you've ever said It's written down in indelible ink. Do you remember what Ecclesiastes says in the 12th chapter? For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every secret thing, whether it is good or evil. Paul wrote to the church at Rome, God will judge the secrets of men through Jesus Christ. That means things that nobody else knows, God has written down. You see, until this moment, some people will think, well, I got away with such and such. But the scripture says, be sure of this, your sins will find you out. Do you remember what Jesus said even about our words? But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for in the day of judgment. Think about that, the profanity you spoke, the dishonesty you spoke out, the exaggeration, the people that you maligned, the lies that you told, every word men will give an account for in the day of judgment. So there are some books in Greek, it's Biblia, and so we get our word Bible from it. We just transliterate it. It referred to a scroll or in recent centuries, a codex that's hard bound, so to speak. There are these books, and in it, the omniscient, omnipresent God has written down as an expression of his justice at this particular place every word, thought, and deed that we have done that is contrary to the ways of God. Jesus made it clear that men will be judged according to their works. By the way, it might be a little wooden in verse 13, but do you see that word everyone? It's a Greek word that literally means each one. In other words, there is an individual accountability here. You're not being judged as a family. You're not being judged as a church or a nation. You're being judged individually. And so Jesus prophesied this in Matthew 16. The Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Paul, quoting the book of Proverbs, said the same thing in Romans chapter 2. He says that God will render to each person, how? According to their deeds. Now, remember, this courtroom is not to determine if someone goes to hell. That is settled. Everyone at this judgment goes to hell, as the text indicates. But yet the scripture is clear. He will judge men according to their deeds. Don't put in your mind the false doctrine that God has this big scale with good and bad, and if the good outweigh the bad, you're in. So why are they judging men according to their deeds? Two principal reasons found in scripture. First, your deeds will prove, they will show that you've never been born again. Jesus taught that a man's conduct demonstrates his character. And if you've had a birth from above, the direction of your life has changed. And if the direction of your life has not changed, the general principle is you just haven't been born again. You haven't been born from above. And so you're saved by grace alone, the scripture teaches, but the grace that saves is never alone. It's not faith in Jesus plus good works equals or equates to salvation. That's Roman Catholicism. That's liberal Protestantism. That's heresy. That's a works righteousness. It's faith in Christ alone in his death, burial, and resurrection equals salvation plus good works, where works are the byproduct the fruit, the result of being saved, but it's not how you are saved. And so first, a person's works will show or prove that they have not been born again at this judgment. Titus said it this way in Titus 1.16, they profess to know God, but by their deeds, they deny them. Oh, the church in America, the evangelical church is filled with people like that. I'm born again. It doesn't matter that I live with my girlfriend. It doesn't matter that I like to go out and get blitzed every week. I'm born again. It doesn't matter if I like to smoke weed. I'm born again. It doesn't matter that I don't love the people of God. I'm born again. They profess to know God. But by their deeds, they deny him. You say, well, there's a lot of lost people who do good things. Of course they do. For the glory of men. For the praise of self. Sometimes to alleviate a a guilty conscience. But not for the glory of God. Not out of a grateful heart. That God, you've redeemed me by your grace and mercy. And so I want to serve you. Some are doing good works to earn God's approval, but they've never humbled themselves and received the Lord Jesus. Remember, Isaiah 64, 6 says, your righteous deeds are as filthy rags. Not your best deeds, uh, not your worst deeds, but your best deeds. That in the sight of an absolute holy God, they're like dirty rags. So God knows what sinners are doing, and the books will reveal. No one will be able to say, well, that's not true of me. Here it is. Right here in the book. In these books, every word, thought, and deed has been recorded. What's the second reason for God judging men according to their deeds? The second reason is for his sending out eternal retribution justly. Think your way through this. This is important. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 10. He sends the 12 apostles out. And he affirms the fact that while hell is terrible, hell is not the same for every person. In Matthew 10, beginning in verse 14, whoever does not receive you nor heed your words, as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. No, wait a minute. Sodom and Gomorrah. Talk about perversion it'll be more tolerable for Sodom in the day of judgment yes because to whom much is given much is expected Jesus said if they saw the miracles in Sodom and Gomorrah that you've seen they would have repented and there are many people who sit under Bible preaching where hell will be hotter for them He goes on to say in Mark chapter 12, where he warns of the hypocrites, beware of the scribes who like to walk along and walk around in long robes and like respectful greetings in the marketplaces and the chief seats in the synagogues and the places of honors at banquets, who devour widows' houses. That's prosperity theology. That's the Benny Hinn's. That's the T.D. Jakes. That's the Joel scene. That's the Joyce Myers. People say, oh, they're good people. They preach Jesus. They preach another Jesus. They're ripping people off. That's what these people were doing. They devour widows' houses. And for appearance' sake, they offer long praises, prayers, but they'll receive greater condemnation. Look, just as heaven is described as a fantastic, wonderful place for everyone who goes, it won't be the same for everyone. And every time the Lord Jesus speaks about hell, he speaks of it as a terrifying place. But somehow, in the perfect justice of God, it will not be the same for everyone. And so God will judge each sinner according to their deeds. That brings us to the fifth point. I want us to think about the penalty from the judgment, the penalty from this coming judgment. Now in verses 14 and 15, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now I want you to notice several aspects about this final penalty that comes from God's hand. First, all those who make up this second resurrection without exception are thrown into the lake of fire. There's no ifs, ands, and buts about it. It is sure and as certain as I am standing here today. No fancy lawyer will be able to get you off. There's no mercy here. There's no grace here. There's no forgiveness here. It will do no good for someone to cast their selves upon God and ask for mercy. It will be eternally too late. Don't think for a moment you can die and go to hell and somehow you can later repent and get right. You say, well, wait a minute, Pastor. I was raised in a church. Where I was told by my pastor that these descriptions of hell are just symbolic, they're not real. Well, you were lied to. That's all I can say. You were lied to. Even if these were just symbols, a symbol is never as great as the reality. I can take a picture of a sunset. But the reality of seeing it with the naked eye is so far more powerful. And listen, there are just too many verses in Holy Scripture that describe this as a place of torment. And so you are either calling the Bible is untrue and Jesus is a liar. And so in describing this place, Jesus said it's a place of eternal punishment. Listen to what he said in Matthew 25 and verse 46. These... The loss will go into eternal punishment, ionion, but the righteous into eternal ionion life. The Greek word that's translated here for eternal to describe heaven, eternal life, is the same word that's used to describe eternal punishment. In fact, it's the same word that modifies God's character in First 1 Timothy 1.17, that he is the eternal God. So to say heaven is not eternal is to say hell is not eternal. It's to say God is not eternal. But you cannot do that. So no one is extinguished in hell as the Seventh-day Adventists and the Jehovah's Witness teaches. No one goes to hell for a period of time and, and then is released into heaven as the Mormon teaches. Now, Roman Catholics teach there's a place called hell, but if you're a church member, you won't go there, but you'll go to a place potentially unless you've been deemed a saint by the church to a place of temporal punishment until you make up for the sin that you didn't, Deal with, and it's called purgatory, a 12th century doctrine that you can find nowhere in Scripture. The Scripture is clear: when a man dies and he goes to hell, he's there forever and ever and ever. We just read earlier from Revelation 19 in verse 20. Let me read it again. And the beast, the Antichrist, was seized, and with him the false prophet, who performed the signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. So the very first two humans to be cast into the lake of fire. Look, when you think of the Antichrist and his false prophets, they're just normal, everyday people with flesh and blood like you and I. They're probably alive now. We don't know for sure, but they're probably alive now. But they're real people, and they are the first two recipients in the lake of fire.
1: If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program God's Prophetic Schedule 028. If you have a question that you would like to ask Pastor Brogy personally, you can do that tomorrow between 11 and noon Eastern during his live call-in program, The Bible Line. You can also listen to The Bible Line online at wagp.net. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to search the scriptures.